Is Christianity like karate? Is Christianity like karate? By which I don't mean, um, uh, do we like beating each other up? I think we, we do, but that's not what I'm, I mean. Um, is Christianity like karate in the sense that if you do karate, everybody's got a different belt, haven't they? And you can tell how advanced somebody is, you know, because they've all reached a different level, depending on how long they've been going and how uh, much they've progressed through the various different stages. Uh, you know, you go in at the bottom and you get given, I don't know what the order is or what the first one is, but everybody knows the best one's a black belt, isn't it? If you, if you're... So is Christianity like that? You know, if, uh, if the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, and maybe the church wardens have got a black belt, um, then, um, then what, what, where are you? Um, you know, are you just sort of starting off at the beginning? Uh, or are you sort of been going a little while and have progressed up through one or two levels? Is Christianity like that? Well, I hope... Um, I hope you don't think it is. It isn't. I don't think it is. Um, uh, there is really, there's only one category. There's not different types of Christian. There's only one type of Christian. There's only one uh, grade or rank or division or belt that everybody who is a follower of Jesus is invited to, to wear, a label which they are um, able to own. Only one type of Christian, and, and that is a disciple. Disciple is the word. Uh, Jesus didn't call people so much to identify as, as Christians, as follow him as disciples. Um, I've been trying to square away how to understand in my mind, the, we've probably seen all this news about the census coming out and saying that, um, you know, now for the first time, less than, or fewer than, less than half the country um, identifies as a Christian uh, for the first time. And yet, for, I don't know about you, but for me, that sounds still very high. Yeah, I don't think anything like half the country goes to church or reads the Bible or, or prays. And so I just sort of wonder if that came around on the census, um, that the question wasn't so much which I, religion do you identify with as, uh, are you a disciple of Jesus? Whether that might kind of focus um, the mind a little bit more. I wonder whether we would claim to wear that belt. Disciple. Well, we're spending these five weeks, um, hopefully there'll be a slide coming up um, just behind uh, Peter if that's there, um, which we can just leave up. Thank you. We're spending these five weeks working our way through our top five priorities as a church. And um, uh, these priorities aren't ones that, you know, I've sort of conjured up from somewhere. Uh, They were given um, on the, actually on the job description as I applied to come and be the vicar here. These were the five things that they said the church needs to focus on. And so I had to sort of do my best in the interview to persuade them that I was going to take these seriously. And so here we are. We're starting this um, year off by spending five weeks focusing on our, our top five priorities. And I did offer anybody, if you could come up with a, a more clever name for this series than High Five, um, there, that, to let me know. But nobody did, so that's what we're stuck with. We're calling it High Five. And so um, last week we, we were thinking about evangelism, for the sharing of our faith. And this week, we are thinking about the subject of discipleship. In other words, growing in faith ourselves. If the word disciple, what it, the word disciple means a learner, someone who's learning. And so if we are um, thinking about discipleship, it's the subject of our learning and growing in faith. And to be honest, it was kind of difficult to choose a Bible passage to fit in with what we were thinking about this morning, because normally, normally what happens is the Bible passage gets set, and then we sort of go, right, well, what does this say, and what's it got to say to us today? Whereas this way around, it's sort of saying, well, we're thinking about this topic. Where does the Bible tell us about that? And actually, to be honest, you could have picked anywhere. The whole Bible 
is one great big call. You know, the, the Old Testament, the bit that Vicky read, is a great big call to follow God with our whole heart. Oh, think of the Gospels. You know, where do you want to go to find out about discipleship? Well, the whole Gospels are about discipleship. Uh, we could have gone to the beginning of the Gospels, where Jesus calls the first disciples. Uh, or we could have gone to any of the parables, which talk about discipleship being like a wise man building on the rock, or a, you know, soil producing fruit, or something like that. Or we could have gone to many parts of the Gospels where, it, it, very often, there were huge crowds of people who gathered around Jesus. What was interesting was as he interacted with people, Jesus wasn't really interested in great big crowds of half-interested people. He often said to the crowds, actually, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and come and follow me, which rather focused the question a little bit. Uh, Or we could have gone to the end of the Gospels, where the last word that Jesus said to his disciples was to go and make disciples. That's what the whole Gospel is about, discipleship. But I thought we'd come here to this um, bit that we just read in Colossians, partly because we've been spending a lot of time looking at the Gospels. All of last year we were looking at the Gospel of Luke. Um, So it might be nice for us to sort of get familiar with another bit of the Bible if we're sort of getting used to reading the Bible. Um, But also because this is written by a church leader to a church, and in it he tells the church what his priority for the church ought to be. So I think that's kind of helpful as we're thinking through our priorities. So look at what he says to them, verse 28. This is our key verse. He says to the church, he is the one, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's what Paul is telling the church, is what he's doing. He wants to present them fully mature in Christ. You almost get the impression that that Paul is sort of thinking, you know, when Jesus returns, and and Jesus says to Paul, you know, what have you done with your life? Paul can go, well, look, here's the, the Christians in Colossae. He wants to present them fully mature in Christ. That's what Paul is all about. And look, he says, verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul is just pouring himself out in pursuit of this great goal. And he wants them to know that this is what his goal is. Look, in verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you And for those at Laodicea, in other words, a neighbouring church down the road, if you look at the back of the Bible, the very last page has got a map on it, and it shows you all the places where Paul went, including Colossae, and just down the road is Laodicea, in the middle of what is now Turkey. And, he says, for all those who have not met me personally, he even cared about the Christians he hadn't even met yet, including, I guess by extension, us here today. He wants us to know what his great passion and vision for the church was to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Uh, the word discipleship, I mean, it's not in there, isn't it? But that's the, you know, it, it's definitely that theme, isn't it? Um, that's his vision for the church. There was one church that I knew of who's had a mission statement, turning irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That was their kind of strap line. That's a good way of saying the same thing, isn't it? That's what that church is all about. That's what Paul is all about, turning irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, presenting them perfect, fully mature in Christ. Well, how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't know, how do you feel about the idea of discipleship? 
You know, would you want to own that label for yourself? Would you be, want to be known as a disciple of Jesus? So, uh, my hope and prayer, I, I don't know how we feel about that this morning, my hope and prayer is that over the course of this year, um, that our church would increasingly be a group of people who say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a disciple. But I, I'm guessing that, you know, as we start thinking in those terms and we see what Paul's hope for the church was, we might have some reservations. And, and some of us, we sort of might be sitting here, some of us might be going, yes, I'm up for that. And other of us might be going, hmm, not so sure. So what I thought we'd do is similar to last week where we basically just had a look at three objections we might raise to this idea of sharing our faith last week. Well, for the remainder of the next few moments, let's think about three objections we might have to Paul's goal for the church. Uh, we might be thinking, well, I'm not quite sure about this, so we might have these three objections. One might be, hmm, uh, isn't discipleship just for the keen beans? Um, two, we might think, doesn't God love me just the way I am? You know, why do we need to be so, sort of taking it so seriously and talk about discipleship? Doesn't God just love me just the way I am? And thirdly, we might think, well, what would discipleship even involve? What would discipleship even involved? So those are the three, the, the three things I want to just see, see what Paul says in response to those questions. First of all, isn't discipleship just for keen beans? Uh, we said, said at the beginning that there aren't these different categories or ranks of Christians, but we might be thinking, I think there, there are different categories, are there not? I mean, Jesus had his inner circle. Uh, he had the 12 disciples. And so um, isn't discipleship for those who are, you know, a bit keener than me? And well, I suppose we might ask that question either from a position of kind of humility or from a position of pride. Yeah, we might go, to be honest, discipleship sounds a bit too enthusiastic for me. I'm quite happy with my faith as I am. And to be honest, we would never put it anything quite so blunt as this. But we might think, I just can't be bothered. You know, we're taking Jesus and discipleship any more seriously than I currently do. You know, from a position of pride or from a position of humility. You might go, why would Jesus be bothered with me? You know, if there is an inner circle, if there is a sort of a, a different group of people who are disciples, well, little old me, I would be the one in the crowd at the back admiring from a distance, but I wouldn't be a disciple. Isn't discipleship just for the keen beings? Well, Jesus... Um, he brings down the proud and he lifts up the humble, puts us all on exactly the same playing field, and he calls us all, all of us, to discipleship. There's a word that's repeated twice in that key verse, verse 28. Have a look down. And the word is everyone. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present just a select few mature in Christ. And it doesn't say that. He says we teach everybody so that we may present everybody fully mature in Christ. Paul is absolutely crystal clear. And if you read through the rest of his letters, you get this overwhelming sense that he really does see everybody equally. It doesn't matter whether we're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter whether we're Jewish or from a different ethnic group, which was a big deal at the time when he was writing. And racial and class segregation has been a big deal spiritually down the centuries as well. It doesn't matter, though, what background we're from. It doesn't matter whether even if you're a slave or whether you're the master of a slave in this early um, church society. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you're the top of the societal pecking order or right down at the bottom. Everybody's equal in the eyes of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, whatever. 
we're all one in Christ Jesus. So we might be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm just not sure discipleship is for me. I think this is just for the keen beans. And Paul wants to say, no, we're preaching Christ to everybody that we see everybody made fully mature in Christ. So that for our church, all of us are included here this morning. There's none of us sitting here in this pew going, well, he's talking about someone else here. He's talking about those who want to take it to the next level. No, the Bible is, is saying that actually all of us are called to discipleship, which I just think is amazingly exciting for us as a church. Well, we might just be thinking, okay, well, secondly, we might think, doesn't God love me just the way I am? You know, do we have to be talking about discipleship? You know, if his love is unconditional and God is a God of love, you know, why do we need to do anything, <laughs> frankly? Yeah, the, the idea of discipleship, if Paul in, in these verses sounds awfully active, strenuously contending, you know, can't we just relax a bit? And just let God love us just the way we are. Well, I think the Bible is really clear that God does love us just the way we are. It doesn't matter our background, doesn't matter what we've done this week. It doesn't matter that we come to confession, we might have done, goodness knows what we've been up to. God does love us just the way we are. He really does, his love is unconditional. And yet, it's also really clear that he doesn't want us to stay just the way we are. He wants us to be fully mature in Christ, is what it says here in verse 28, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. In fact, Paul warns against this idea of complacency. If we're sort of thinking, well, I'm not really sure, maybe I'll just relax and not do anything with my, take my faith more seriously. He actually warns against complacency. Look at, he says in verse 28, him we proclaim admonishing that's a quite a sort of we don't do much admonishing i don't think in the church of england warning is another way that this word gets translated but actually paul warns the church or admonishes them against complacency and i was trying to work out well why is you know it mentions this church in laodicea in verse one of chapter two you know what what's going on there and i was just thinking about this and remembering that actually Sometime after this letter to the Colossian church got written, the book of Revelation gets written. If you read all the way to the end of the Bible, it's the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation starts off with several letters to different churches, including one to the church in Laodicea. And one thing that the Laodiceans get kind of challenged on is that they've got to be lukewarm. It says, in fact, that the Spirit says to the church of Laodicea, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I wish you were one or the other, Instead, you're kind of nothing. You know, a bit like when you've made your cup of tea and, uh, and then it is, there it is on the side. You think, oh, I forgot to make myself a cup of tea. You know, let me have a little sip. And you go, oh, lukewarm. And, and Jesus says, that's what the church of Laodicea became like. In other words, it just relaxed, didn't do anything, didn't take discipleship seriously and became lukewarm. Now, what an awful thing to be described as. We wouldn't, wouldn't want to be known as lukewarm, I don't think. You know, would but it's a question we ought to ask, or depersonalise it. Let's not think St Michael's. Think, maybe just think the Church of England. If the Holy Spirit was writing a letter to the Church of England, I think it's worth us asking, would he describe the Church of England as being lukewarm? I don't know. Possibly. We ought to ask that question. And whether we're just sort of sitting back a little bit. In fact, he doesn't want us to stay as we are. He wants us to be, look at verse 28, Fully mature. Now, what's extraordinary is that word fully mature, in fact, literally means perfect. 
And the older versions of the Bible, the old King James Bible, says what Paul's goal is for the church is to present everyone perfect. Does Paul really mean he wants the church to be perfect? He does. Look at chapter 1, just look, glance across the page to chapter 1, verse 22, where it says why Jesus died. 1, verse 22, he said, why, why did Jesus die? Well, now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death to present you, same idea, you're going to be presented, holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That's what the purpose of Jesus' death was to make the church holy without blemish and free from accusation. But you think, well, nobody's perfect, surely. And yet Jesus said, be perfect in the Sermon on the Mount. Because my heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, what do you make of that? Paul wanted the church to be perfect. Nobody will be this side of heaven. And yet, surely in heaven, will, will heaven not be perfect? Of course it will be. And, but if there are going to be any people in heaven, they will have to be perfect as well, won't they? Otherwise, heaven won't be perfect. And so I think what Paul is calling us to here is to begin a journey of discipleship, of increasing holiness, of increasing getting to know the Lord Jesus and drawing closer and closer to him and becoming more and more like him, becoming more and more holy, that in the end, we will one day see him face to face, fully mature, perfect, holy. From heaven he came sort of to be a holy bride with his own lovely daughter before her life he died. What an extraordinary idea. What do you make of that? The idea that the church is growing in holiness, maturity towards perfection. You can kind of see why Jesus polarised people. I guess by this point we're maybe either leaning in or leaning out. We're either going, wow, that sounds amazing. How do we get there? Or we're going, not sure what I make of this. And Jesus, that's the reaction everybody had to him. They, didn't, they weren't lukewarm when they came face to face with him. He, he either drew people in or, or they, they thought, no, not for me. If we're leaning in and going, okay, right, I'm up for discipleship in 2023, what does that involve? What would it look like? If God is calling me not just to give Jesus a glancing nod, but to place him at the centre of my life and committing to being his disciple, what do I need to do? Well... If the word disciple means a learner, then discipleship involves growing in knowledge. Discipleship involves growing in knowledge. How, in verse 28, is Paul hoping that everybody's going to get to maturity? He says he's going to teach them with all wisdom. Or look at verse 2. The goal is so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So these words which Paul is using is like teaching and understanding and wisdom and knowledge ought to make us ask, if we're wanting to be Jesus' disciples, are we growing in wisdom and understanding and knowledge? That's one of the reasons I'm so excited that a number of people are doing this Bible in one year. Um, this year, we mentioned this last week, if you weren't around, there's something called the Bible in a year. We might be thinking, well, I've never really read the Bible. Uh, well, it divides it up into 365 chunks so that you can sort of do a bit each day. Yeah, how are we going to grow in knowledge if we've never even read the book? But actually, so that's a great, if we're after a New Year's resolution, let's read the Bible. Look at what Paul says in verse 5. He's delighted to see how disciplined they are. Same word as disciple, isn't it? A disciple is someone who's disciplined. Well, reading the Bible is a discipline. Going to church is a discipline. Praying regularly is a discipline. And disciples ought to be 
disciplined in growing in knowledge. Not, not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, not just information in our head, but personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's what he says in verse 2. To have full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. He wants the church to get to know Jesus better. It's like a relationship, isn't it? If you've got a couple and they beginning a relationship where they get married, you know, they know enough about each other in order to be able to make a commitment, don't they? They don't know everything about each other, but they know enough to make a commitment. And that must be what baptism is like, or confirmation if you got baptised when you are younger. You go, right, don't know everything about God, I know enough to make a commitment. It would be tragic, wouldn't it, if, if that marriage relationship just stopped there and then there was no more... You've got to spend a lifetime, haven't you, of getting to know each other and growing in knowledge of each other and going, gosh, I never knew that about you, hopefully in a good way. As you grow to, to know each other more and to understand each other more. And that's what Christian discipleship is like. It's personal knowledge growing in relationship with Jesus. Or as he puts it, glance across at 1 verse 10, where he says he wants the church to live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So what do we, where does that land with us? Are we, do we, would we say, are we a disciple of Jesus? Jesus calls his disciples, doesn't he? And he calls us, he calls all of us. He doesn't just call the keen beans. Does it, is it just for keen beans? No, it's for everybody. Does he want us to just stay where we are? No, he, he wants us to grow in maturity. He wants us to grow in knowledge. Are we up for that this year? Um, will discipleship be one of our top priorities? Well, let's pray, shall we, and ask for his help? Because actually, if you have a look again at verse 29, you might think, oh gosh, what a lot of effort. I can't do it. Well, neither could Paul. 20, verse 29, Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. So we better pray for his energy to come and to help us to grow as his disciples. Let's pray.